Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Taking Your Next Step podcast from Collegians for Christ. Through each episode, we will journey together focusing on knowing what you believe and why you believe it. If you are eager, like I am, to strengthen your faith, then take your next step now by joining us in today's episode. Within Christianity and the church, we talk a lot about the death of Jesus, the fact that Jesus died. He was buried there in that tomb, and then we celebrate the fact that he rose again on the third day. Now, when you think about the symbol of Christianity, typically you think about a cross, because that is the uh, the, the go-to symbol, if you will, for Christianity. When people see a cross, it typically is what it symbolizes. There's not really something else that a cross would symbolize, uh, other than maybe in a cemetery, but still it's under the impression that while that person has passed away here physically on earth, earth because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the crucifixion on that cross, they will one day be bodily raised uh, to be given a glorified body. And so we understand uh, the death of Jesus, but what is the purpose of Jesus's death? Now, Peter keys into that as we continue kind of walking through the book of 1 Peter, very practical, very helpful. And uh, as we look here, I'm going to read just a few verses here for you, beginning in chapter 3, verse 18. It says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. And so we'll continue walking through this passage. We see a very interesting aspect about what Jesus did did while he was dead, while those three days elapsed. And we see a little bit of this idea of he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. We're going to talk about what he was doing and what that means. But first of all, we see in our verse number 18, the purpose of Jesus's death was to bring mankind back to God. Now we understand we're separated from God at birth. We biblically are taught that, but we also understand through our conscience that we are sinners for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Now, the question is, we understand sin. We understand sin is missing the mark. But how does sin actually separate us from God? We talk about we're separated from God. But how does sin do that? Well, if you think about sin, sin is the act of going against God and his word. It's going against God and his word. It's what God has communicated. This is the right way, and you and I, via sin, go the wrong way. We're going against God. We're not going his way. So if we are going against God, then we must be separate from him. Therefore, sin, by definition, separates us from God. Think about that just for a moment. So if we're not going with God, but we're going against God, we're going in a different direction. Therefore, we're separated from Him. Now, this separation from God causes many things in people's lives. I think the most uh, uh, prominent one is hopelessness. When you're separated from God, you're separated from your creator, you're separated from the one that gives you your identity, your purpose, your fulfillment, your joy in life, the only other result is hopelessness. And remember, the theme of 1 Peter is living with hope. 
And so we understand we're separated from God, and that uh, produces hopelessness. It also produces an unrest in people's lives, a loss of peace, a loss of purpose. I would say it also produces a searching and longing for that love, that hope, that rest, that peace. And we see the world that does not know God, does not maybe, maybe they're not atheists, but maybe they're just not in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We see them uh, relentlessly pursuing things in this world to fulfill that what we would refer to as that God hole, that, that hole in their soul that only God can feel. They pursue it through entertainment. They pursue it through achievement. They pursue it through academic achievement, through uh, knowledge, information, wisdom. It's pursued through uh, sexual satisfaction. It's pursued through drugs and through alcohol and through all these different things. But it's because we're separated from God at birth. But the, the beautiful thing is we're not left there. And Peter tells us we're redeemed to God by Jesus's death. What is the purpose of his death is to redeem us to God. You see, Jesus had to come and die. Why? Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. There would be no way to bring us back to God. God is just and God is holy and we're separated because of our choices, because of the decisions we made. And there are natural consequences of those. And God cannot just overlook that. Something must be done. So Jesus had to come and die. Peter talked about that in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, uh, when he said this, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your father. So you're not redeemed with anything that you can do via something you can purchase or something you can do, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So Jesus had to come and die, but Jesus only had to suffer once. And that's what Peter brings out. He didn't have to suffer many times. Hebrews talks about that in chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. He only had to suffer once. Why? His sacrifice was enough. His sacrifice was the perfect sacrifice. Uh, he did not need to do it over and over and over. And it refers back to the Old Testament there in Hebrews when it talks about the fact that uh, the Old Testament scriptures or the Old Testament priest had to go in once a year and offer atonement for the sins of the people. Where Jesus, when he came and offered himself, it was the perfect sacrifice. And we see in our passage here that it's the just for the unjust. It's the deserving for the undeserving. It's the innocent for the guilty. Why? Why did Jesus have to die to bring us back to God? That's what it says in verse 18. And think about that. Think about the truth that you're separated from God, but that God himself came down to humanity to deal with our brokenness, to deal with our hopelessness, to deal with our unrest, our loss of peace, our loss of identity and purpose. And as he did that, he made a way for us to be brought back to him, to have the separation destroyed, diminished. And that is the purpose in Jesus' death. But also the purpose in his death was to bring a fallen word to the angels or to bring the angels a fallen word. Verse 19 says, by which also, so we're adding to here his death, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now it talks about these spirits. It says they were sometime disobedient. Then it kind of gives us the time and place 
of these spirits, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. And so what exactly did Christ do for those three days between his death and his resurrection? We see he preached to the spirits, but we have to ask the question, who are these spirits? Well, spirits here are referring to fallen angels or demons. This word that is used is never used of humans in the New Testament. Even in our passage here, Peter refers to humans as souls in verse number 20. He says, which sometime were disobedient when once the long serpent of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So there's a distinction here between spirits and souls. So these spirits would be the fallen angels or the demons. Second Peter chapter uh, 2, verses 4 and 5 gives us a little bit of a glimpse into this. We don't know a lot about what goes on because Scripture is not fully silent. It gives us a little bit of information, uh, but there's a lot of speculation that can go on. What exactly did Jesus do? Did he go to hell? Did he not? Did he preach? Were these uh, spirits able to be saved? What was going on? Well, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the ungodly. So here we see the connection again with Noah and the flood. But we also see that he spared not these angels. We understand these angels sinned and they were cast down to hell where they're delivered, where he delivered them into what? Chains of darkness, meaning they were delivered there and are held there. They're being reserved, as this passage says, unto judgment. And then Jude uh, verses six and seven give us another quick glimpse uh, into this uh, this idea that we have, or really not the idea, I shouldn't say that, the truth here, but I'm saying the idea we're trying to formulate of what is going on. Verses six and seven says, "By and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So these angels sinned against God. It happened sometime between creation and the flood. We understand because of their sin, they were sentenced to hell to be held there until the judgment. And it's also correlated in both passages with the flood of Noah. So we understand they fell sometime between creation and the flood. And so Jesus preached to the spirits, but also Jesus proclaimed a message as he preached, but not the gospel. What do you mean? Jesus did not preach the gospel to these spirits so they could be saved. We know this because it is a different word than what Peter used for preaching the gospel in verses chapter 1 and verse 12 and chapter 4 and verse 6. He used a different word here. So the question is, what did Jesus proclaim then? Well, guess what? I can tell you nothing because Peter does not tell us specifically. Scripture does not tell us specifically. We understand he did not preach the gospel so that these spirits could be saved because they sinned and they're being reserved unto the day of judgment. There, there is no gospel presentation, ability for them to be saved because they're, they're spirits. There's a different dealing with them than there is with humans. But we can speculate, and you could put your pen or your thoughts down, because we don't know for sure, but possibly he proclaimed the message of victory over sin, the victory over death and hell. And maybe he said, look, Satan has been defeated. He went and gave them a message of some sort. That's what we know that he did. 
That was a part of the purpose of his death. There's a lot of speculation, and we have to be careful as we get out there speculating on all that has been uh, done. But when Scripture's silent, we just have to roll with what Scripture says. We can put our own imagination into it. We can put bits and pieces of other passages, which we should. Uh, That's very biblical to try to figure out what's going on. But then in the bottom of our passage here, as he was talking about that, he said this, the like figure... Uh, wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, here's a passage some people like to say, well, uh, baptism is what saves us. But uh, Peter is very clear via a parenthetical statement here, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience. So what does Peter say about baptism and its power to save? He says that baptism is merely a picture of salvation. That's all baptism is. And he relates that into Noah and the flood because there was water. Remember, it wasn't the water that saved them. It was the ark that saved them. The water pictured the judgment. But we understand when you're baptized, you're, you're, you're pictured with Christ. You, uh, you're buried with him. The water pictures that burial, that death, right? Kind of what the water did for the flood. It killed the, the known world at that time, all except those that were in the, uh, in the uh, ark. And so as you go down in the water, you're buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. It's the resurrection, and that's what he says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So salvation, I mean, baptism is merely a picture of salvation, and honestly, it's a tangible display of obedience after belief in Jesus. You see, when I believe on Jesus Christ, the moment that I did that years back, there's nothing you saw transpire. Now, something happened in my will and in my heart. I made a conscious decision to call out to Jesus Christ to save me, but there is nothing that you could touch, nothing that you could smell, taste, or any of that. But with baptism, it is our one opportunity to tangibly display our obedience after belief in Jesus Christ. So why can baptism not save? Well, water cannot remove sins. The Bible is clear that only the blood of Christ can can remove sins. Baptism would be a work, and we're not saved by works. You see, water is only a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that Peter was very clear on that. He put it in parenthetical, uh, a parenthetical statement here for us to understand, look, I'm not saying that it can save us spiritually, meaning salvation, because he says not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. It's you and I with a good conscience obeying God. And so thirdly here, what is the purpose of Jesus' death? Is to become our great intercessor. Verse 22 says, Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Remember, he wouldn't preach to those spirits. Well, look what verse 22 says. He, the angels, authorities, and powers, those he went and preached or shared the message with, they were made subject to him. So maybe that's the message he was giving them. So what is the place of Jesus? Where is Jesus at right now? He is on the right hand of God. You say, what is so important about the right hand of God? Well, this signifies a place of honor. You see, Jesus received this seat, this place of honor, because of his death and because of his resurrection. He received this place of honor because of his obedience to God the Father 
as he was there in the garden and said, not my will, but thine be done. But what is the position of Jesus? What is Jesus doing right now? He's, he's there interceding for us. We understand in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it gives us a very clear depiction of what Jesus is doing as our advocate, as our intercessor, his position. It says, who is he that condemneth? Who can condemn you? Who can say you're guilty? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even, watch this, at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So what is he doing? He's interceding. That literally means to fall in with. Jesus falls in with us. Jesus represents us before the throne of God. Therefore, we do not have to represent ourselves. Represent ourselves. What is he doing? He's acting as our defense attorney. We understand Satan accuses us every single day, night and day. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 tells us he accuses the brethren. But here we see that Jesus, in his place and his position, intercedes on our behalf because of his position, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is. You see, you and I are guilty. We are guilty as charged. And whatever accusation Satan wants to bring against us, as he stands in the courtroom of God's justice, and he calls out every sin that you've ever committed, the only thing you could respond to God the Father with is, yes, I'm guilty. Guilty, 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 guilty. But you and I do not have to speak because Jesus Christ Sands sits on the right hand of God interceding for us. And as Satan cast out the accusations, all Jesus says is, Father, they've accepted me. They have believed on me. And the Father sees those nail-pierced hands. And he says, innocent, forgiven. Your punishment has already been paid by Jesus Christ. And so we can have hope knowing who is in charge. We can have hope knowing the end. We can have hope that Jesus has already won victory over Satan and evil. I mean, watch the news, watch social media, and you see all this evil, hate, uh, racism, uh, just everything going on in our country, such division on so many scales and areas. It looks hopeless. But you and I don't live that way. And that's what Peter's saying. No matter what the circumstances of life may bring, no matter what the culture may produce, you and I have a living hope, and it is based in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please share it with a friend or subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can connect with Collegians for Christ online for more information and resources at cfccampusministry.com.